0: Really glad that you've joined us. Just a short programming note before we get started. I am headed after the show today, north to Mackinac Island, for the annual Detroit Regional Chamber Policy Conference that takes place up there each year. Normally that happens at the end of May, but because of COVID, it didn't happen in. 2020 at all, and it didn't happen this May. It is now happening this week, and uh, we will be there as a show, Detroit Today, uh, taking note of all of the things that happen, all the conversations that take place, all the decisions and arguments that unfold. Uh, We will begin tomorrow with uh, Wayne County Executive Warren Evans and Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, as well as Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, who will All come by and tell us what they're doing and expecting uh, up on Mackinac Island. Uh, On Wednesday, we will talk with Governor Gretchen Whitmer and uh, several others. So, uh, of course, as always, stay tuned and uh, we will be back here in Detroit uh, on Friday morning uh, to continue what we do every day right here on uh, Detroit Today. First up today, it has been one infrastructure calamity after another here in Southeast Michigan this summer, and it's becoming clearer with every severe weather event that we have that our grid, our utilities, and our institutions are simply not ready for a new climate reality. And we're seeing reminders of the disastrous state of our infrastructure with incidents that aren't assumed to be related to weather events as well. A week ago, the area around Fort and Dearborn streets in southwest Detroit was closed to traffic after the roads buckled about eight feet upwards. DTE officials say gas and electric infrastructure was damaged by a water main break during the event, and they say there's no evidence of natural gas causing the incident. That situation is still under investigation, and the cause is not yet clear, but many public officials say it's an example of of negligence feels at times like uh, that our built environment is literally crumbling around us f- and not enough is really being done to stop it here to talk about all of the infrastructure disasters that we've been having in Metro Detroit and what can be done to fix them both in the short term and in the long term is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib she is a democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's 13th congressional Uh, district Uh, congresswoman welcome back to detroit today
1: thanks Stephen, for having me
0: yeah so you and several other public officials on friday called for that area in southwest detroit around fort and dearborn streets to be evacuated Uh, give us an update on where we are with that situation and how urgent it still is
1: yeah some of the first officials on site uh, that evening was folks at epa and other uh, city officials, and I believe DTE was already at the location when the eruption and kind of earthquake uh, incident happened uh, at that corner. That uh, really, you know, took away a lot of people's access to gas, but also uh, a business was uh, it needed to be demolition uh, demolished afterwards. Um, but Stephen, what, what the the biggest thing that I heard from EPA, and again, some of the fo- first folks on site. And even today, uh, no one knows what happened. They do know the ground is still shaking mm-hmm. underneath the uh, Fort uh, Iron Metal Yard. Uh, it's kind of a big yard right there at the corner. Been a uh, very much a challenging uh, issue for many of my residents uh, that still yet to understand. You know, the odor is still there. Uh, they understand that there is another pipe that is deemed to be almost going to be collapsed because, again, the ground is shaking. So that's why you see a lot of construction in the areas. DTE is now moving one of their pipelines away from the area that is, is unstable. However, uh it literally feeds away mm. from that yard or where people live. And so it's, it, for many of us, my myself, Senator uh, Ole, Senator Chang, uh, Councilwoman Raquel Katsina-Lopez and Commissioner Iona Vargas stood with our residents because We continue to hear people saying no one lives there, Uh, and that is completely false, and they deserve to feel safe, and right now they don't. Hmm. So uh,
0: I I wonder what kinds of questions that you're posing to DTE, to the Great Lakes Water Authority, to the city and other agencies that are involved. It seems to me that that whatever is happening there, and I I have to say I, I am terrified by the pictures and the videos that i'm seeing come out of uh, of that area but but it seems that it, it, it's whatever's going on it's a confluence of of things there are a number of different issues that all i guess are just coming together at that particular spot and causing what's happening
1: yeah and you know right now I I'm, I'm getting text messages just this morning people can't get through the road to go pick up you know a, a, a person's helping take a child to school that lives on that street uh there's a whole family behind the yard where the vibration or the shaking of the ground is still happening and they're saying, do I have to move my father? He lives next door to me. I mean, these are real life people and issues. And so, you know, Stephen, what I'm asking the city and everyone else to do is do their due diligence in protecting the public. But instead, I hear statements saying people live five blocks away. When we stood there with over a dozen residents who say we live here, uh, of course, we understand there's industry around us. It kept growing. Uh, and, you know, particularly the yard has grown just, oh, you know, twice as large as it was. And everything, all this is happening while people just live literally feet away and they're not given the kind of care. You know, I, I know people get offended when I say, you know, imagine it was downtown Detroit. And they're like, why are you saying that? It's, it's important to say this because if it was, I think there would be, uh, I think, much more care and understanding that you cannot leave people in a situation that's unstable. And especially you don't know what happened. You don't know what the cause was. If you don't know what the cause was, And why aren't you moving folks? That's what Ford Motor Company did Mm -hmm. uh, in Flat Rock. They didn't know what the the, the spill was, what it was causing, and was there any impact in the water. I mean, Stephen, do you know we actually have residents telling me that the water smells, that at first when the incident happened, it was coming out brown. Mm -hmm. Some other family members were saying, how they they kept seeing kind of the splash kind of water coming through and that you can see that it was there was gas filled in there and then at the same time great lakes water authority you know they had to shut down their um operations for quite a while and i don't know if folks know that when, when you flush your toilet that that is going to that water treatment plant that lives you know that where the residents live mm-hmm. right there so the odor of it, it, it smells awful it smells like you know uh, somebody didn't flush a toilet that's how awful and unbearable it is and these are real people it's inhumane to leave them in situations like that mm-hmm. uh, and so we just want people to have some sort of human dignity uh, no matter where you live in the city you're leaving them there it's not like anybody's coming out and saying hey it, it, we're gonna move you all out permanently because every all the industry is getting big no but the fact that EPA uh, the Michigan Public Service Commission DTE the city of Detroit now I got Sims that kind of overseeing all this. All of them are telling me we've never seen anything like it. And these are people that work uh, all over the state and some even out of the, uh, in our region, uh, not including Michigan, but other Midwestern states. And again, when you hear that, it causes me to be much more alarmed and wanting again us to do our due diligence and move folks out. And you know, Stephen, it's not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's less than probably 50 people just alone in the in the vicinity of 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 where this happened. And they deserve better. Yeah.
0: So I, I do want to put this in some context, and it has been a really wild summer for those of us who live in, in Southeast Michigan, and and for some of us, it's been you know a, a tragic summer in terms of the consequences uh, of the the infrastructure failures that have happened over and over again, to the point where I, I think it's not hyperbole to say that there are a lot of people who are just trembling at the thought of the next rainstorm and uh-huh. what it will bring and what it will cause in their neighborhoods uh, and and in their houses. Uh, what's your message to the utilities and the government agencies who are responsible for this infrastructure about... How do we get past this point? How do we get past the point where people are afraid that it will rain, which makes mm-hmm. no sense at all because, of course, it is going to rain again. It is going to storm again. It's going to storm more frequently is what we're learning. Uh, what are you saying to uh, the people who are responsible for this?
1: Yeah, you know, any conversation about DTE has to start with the fact that we pay more, pay, pay some of the highest
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, rates in the country and have the worst reliability. Uh, Michiganders have seen nearly a billion dollars in rate increases since 2015 alone. And and, and that's the premise, right, on this idea that the rate increases are necessary to finance improvements to the system that will make it more reliable. But folks don't know this. I mean, Michigan Public Service Commission, which is supposed to regulate DTE, doesn't actually require DTE to demonstrate that that rate increase on all of us actually improves reliability which is, you know, ridiculous. Uh, did you know, I mean, DTE actually raised increase, you know, uh, had rate increases of about, I think, close to $200 million, about exactly $188 million during the pandemic in 2020, Stephen, mm. uh, that they performed 80,000 shutoffs during that time. This is a company that has totally lost the trust of many of my residents. And, you know, I, I want you to know, I mean, I met with DTE and they told me there's a balancing act between spending money on infrastructure improvements and spending money on compensating residents for the outages. But I believe that's completely wrong. You know, the shareholders are the first people who should take a hit. If you don't have enough money to, you know, to both improve reliability and compensate residents when they fail, you're, you, you're paying out too much to your investors. I mean, Right now in Congress, there's a lot of momentum, of course, for looking at municipal, you know, um, uh, to modernize um, electric utilities and taking these kind of companies and ending this kind of profit motivation and providing electricity and gas, which is life for many of my residents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the midst of the worst summer ever for DTE, they filed yet another 11 percent rate increase, even though my residents went without power for a week in many cases, lost hundreds of dollars of food and lost productivity. I mean, DTE wants to give them $25 (laughs) uh, and call it a day. And I believe it's unacceptable.
0: Hmm. I'm talking with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. She's a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's 13th congressional district. We're talking about all of the infrastructure challenges that we have here in southeast Michigan and the ones that have been made much more apparent to us over this wild summer of really violent and frequent storms. Uh, We're talking about what Congress might be able to do to make things uh, better, make our local utilities and government more responsive. Uh, We're also talking about what those utilities and local government agencies can do themselves to make sure that uh, that calamity doesn't always follow um, uh, what what uh, what is an obvious and normal part of life, which is uh, rain and storms. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. How have the infrastructures that we've been witnessing affected you, especially in the last year here in Southeast Michigan? What do you want people in positions of power? to be doing about it, what are your expectations about what utilities like uh, DTE and the Great Lakes Water Authority as well as uh, the city of Detroit and Wayne County and the state of Michigan? What do you think they ought to be doing to make sure that we're better prepared for what seems to be a more normal part of life, which is these violent storms? Uh, what are some of the things also that you're personally doing to prepare for more extreme weather and the disturbances that often uh, come with them. Of course, we want to hear from you if you're somebody who has really uh, been disrupted by uh, all of the storms and the infrastructure failures uh, this summer and and hear how you're you're managing it, how you're coping, and whether you're part of the community that really just is fretting about the next time this happens because uh, you assume that uh, you'll lose power or there will be damage to your neighborhood or to your home. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Anthony, who is in southwest Detroit. Anthony, what's on your mind?
1: Well, uh, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Representative Khalid. Yeah, that explosion's crazy. My gosh, I live pretty close to there. But uh, Mm. my question is, with the quote-unquote build Back better budget, you want to invest in infrastructure. Let's take our electric grid. It's privately owned by DTE. How are you going to invest in privately owned infrastructure?
0: Hmm. Uh, Interesting question, uh, Anthony and uh, Rashida. That brings us to the question of Congress's role. Uh, in all of this first uh, address what Anthony's asking which is how do you invest uh, as a government in private infrastructure which is what uh, our electric grid uh, is
1: yeah you know I'm working with uh, some incredible coalitions like a work for me DTE coalition as well as solidarity uh, that's based out of Highland Park uh, that you know they all believe as I do um that we need to take more control over our utilities. Uh, it is important to know, I mean, you know, as I met with DTE uh, the, literally the same week that the incident on the corner of Dearborn and Fort Street happened, you know, DTE is willing to modernize their infrastructure, but it matters where it happens, mm-hmm. Stephen, and mm-hmm. who pays for it. Because I know low-income communities of color have, especially like folks in Southwest Detroit, Highland Park, Inkster, have especially bad service. And those are areas where investments need to happen today. Most of Detroit is served by what they call outdated infrastructure, and that's the place to start with infrastructure. Because I don't know if you know this. Right now, we are on the city, the largest populated city in the state, you know, mm-hmm. close to over, over 600,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are on an old 4.8 kilovolt grid when the suburbs are at 8.3 and some actually 13.2 mm-hmm. grid. Mm-hmm. And so hardening the circuits in our frontline communities is critical. And we're tired of seeing upgrades go to other counties and other communities. Uh, And again, in the midst of, you know, as the worst, you know, as as we can see the weather is getting increasingly bad and DT knows they have to do better and more reliability and electricity, but they think, okay, let's put some money towards tree trimming as you will hear, you know, they, they want to do that. And that's good. I'm not saying that's bad, but think about it. You can't trim away your way out of, the reliability issue—it's mm-hmm. uh, going to continue getting worse. This year's storms is just a glimpse of what we're all going to have to deal with regarding climate change. We're just not prepared for it. But yeah, I think there needs to be a real conversation of, you know, what these coalitions in these groups on the ground who've experienced this for years prior to the pandemic, prior to seeing some of these major outages, they have been saying our rates keep going up, but we keep getting these massive outages and. What we're trying to envision, honestly, is, uh, uh, you know, having, and uh, uh, you know, the Michigan uh, Public Service Commission and the Michigan Department of Environmental Great Lakes and Energy. They could provide technical and financial support to our cities and our locals to exit their way out of having these privatized utility lighting contracts and for us to light our own streets with cheaper renewable energy because mm-hmm. they are still in the way of us being able to have that pathway. You know, folks to say to me, Look, Ann Arbor is getting there. Well, they can pay into the system, but what about communities like ours? I mean, we have 12 cities. I don't know if any of them could afford to move us toward that direction. And that's where the federal government can come in. We could provide more funds and support for municipal buildings and schools to go solar, reducing cost of increasing uh, cost and increasing the resilience as as uh, as community support centers. And we need to distribute, you know, really have distributed renewable energy generation uh, like microgrids uh, coupled with community solar, um, you know, have the added cost of reducing the need to replace the full extent of the current, Mm. you know, um, grids. But there are some really thoughtful uh, ideas and approaches that I think the federal government knows can work, but they have to have the political courage to go up against some of these major well-funded private utility companies.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, what about the idea of publicly owned utilities versus private? Maurice in Detroit is, is on the line now, and that's his question. Uh, should we be trying to move toward the direction of publicly owned utilities?
1: Yes, I completely agree, Maurice. I mean, I want you all to know when we look at the numbers, uh, and, and it's not just me, it's these coalitions, everyone, they look at the rate increases. And they see reliability and the issues around infrastructure not being invested in. But, boy, do you see the shareholders are being taken care of. Everything else behind the scenes is being taken care of, mm. and no one talks about that. But for us to have, during the pandemic, to have them increase their rates by $188 million mm. and still face, again, where we have high unemployment rates, Stephen, we have still so many challenges uh, with with the pandemic and the public health crisis. And we still are seeing, I mean, I even had two days without power. Hmm. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky and blessed, but I know my neighbors. I felt awful that I'm their member of Congress. I live in this community. And I continue to get the kind of excuses that you hear. And, of course, folks are on the ground. They're working hard, but they're working hard uh, and, and around the clock because DTE didn't invest those rate increases into our infrastructure and and pushing forward. They know this is here, Mm. uh, but they continue, again, not investing in the way that I think is important. Again, you can't trim your way. You can't trim all these trees away. You've got to upgrade these grids. And, Stephen, I wanted for the listeners to know this. You know, When Mm -hmm. people talked about the flooding and they all said, oh, the pumping stations, the electricity went out, the power, that all was related. All of it was somehow connected. Most of the the pumping stations, especially those that, you know, you heard about Dearborn having some of the worst, the pumping station is in Detroit. Mm. And so when you have, again, these grids and these uh, pumping, I mean, just falling apart, completely having to be reconstructed because we're just not, again, putting the pressure on or, uh, you know, getting DTE. Again, a private for-profit, but we got to stop treating it as if it's some sort of, you know, quasi. it isn't. It is a private for-profit company that, uh, you know, has shareholders to answer to, not us as customers. Mm. And that, to me, is why we need to talk about moving away from private utility companies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to quickly take uh, Janet in Southfield. Janet, I've got just a couple minutes before the segment ends, but I wanted to get your question in here.
1: Uh, Yes, thank you. I was just kind of curious about how is the grid – allocated to, uh, with all of the development that's going on in downtown Detroit, the arenas, all of those businesses that require power, how do they allocate the services from DTE to those businesses hmm. versus the residents? Yeah.
0: Great question, uh, Janet. I, I, I'm not sure I know the answer. Uh, Rashida, <laughs> I, you I wish
1: I did, but you know, <laughs> Janet, as soon as that new stadium came up, I don't know if you know, like I, you know, there's a, a community benefits coalition that was created in the in the area of the stadium where you know some of the Ridley really original Detroiters, some of the folks that moved in the area's huge arts community, and all these folks that sa- said to me, you know, all of a sudden you saw uh, all these new constructed. Um, utility lines and then there was this big upgrade of some sort of uh, uh, DTE facility right on the corner of the lodge service drive and uh, I believe that's uh, forest. Uh, if everyone saw it, they made it look pretty with the brick and all these flowers. but that is that that got all put out there right around the time that the stadium was built. And you know even some of the residents were very concerned because a lot of those utility lines, in, in some of the historic neighborhoods, you know, I don't know if you know this, Stephen, you know, they're they're supposed to be underground. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are can were a big fight to, to getting DTE and, and folks to, to ensure that that stayed that way. I don't know if they were, they were very successful. But uh, it's a very good question to ask, you know, are they on the same grid as many of my residents? And you know, the 1300 residents that were recently out of power near the stadium and this is core city and woodbridge and, and the neighborhood over here mm-hmm. they they again two days without and i don't i didn't see you know i didn't see wayne state or any of these other areas um with the power outage like the residential areas were yeah
0: okay uh rashida Tlaib, congresswoman from detroit who represents michigan's 13th congressional district it's always great to talk to you thank you so much for joining us today on uh, detroit today
1: Thank
0: you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to change subjects and have a conversation about Michigan's updated redistricting efforts. If you'll remember, we now have a citizen commission that is responsible for drawing the political lines for our state legislature and for Congress. They've been hard at work, and people have been reacting to what they've seen so far. We're going to talk with a reporter who is following it as closely as anyone who can help us understand how we're going to be represented in Lansing and Washington after this commission is done. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.